Hello, this is Stephen Crafty and I'm here at RMIT and I'm speaking to Associate Professor Robin Healy who is Co-Program Director of Fashion in the School of Architecture and Design. And I'm very excited to be catching up with Robin because she's has so much to say about fashion. She was very instrumental in putting, uh, in acquiring many of the pieces for the Man Style exhibition. You just have to look at a number of the pieces and um, Robin is the person behind it. So I thought she was an obvious person to include in this interview. Robin, when were you at the National Gallery of Victoria? I started the NGV in um, the end of 1990. And then I was there right up until uh, 2004. Right. So that's quite a long time. So about 14 years at the NGV. And Robin, when you were acquiring pieces for the NGV, what were you looking for, if we're focusing on menswear in particular? Well, I suppose I, suppose I was interested in um, different approaches to dressing. And, and part of what I was interested in was also that when you look around the museums in the world, often there's sort of a very sort of formulaic representation of what people believe is the history of menswear. And within Australia itself, there was some incredibly strong personalities who had contributed to, I suppose, really changing the way um, we look and understand our masculinities. Um, and of course, where I'm going to here is perhaps what I feel is one of my most important contributions to acquisitions for the NGV, which was bringing in um, costumes designed by Lee Bowery. For those who don't know Lee Bowery... Uh, Can you tell us something about Well, I think Lee Bowery's an interesting case, um, an interesting... Uh, the late Lee Bowery, he... Um, well, born in sunshine. Born in sunshine, <laughs> and there is a connection to RMIT because and he's there is yes. This is my favourite story that I still tell to first years that he left RMIT in second year uh, to run off and find fame in London. Of course, inspired by the magazines ID and the Face, that he wanted to be part of those cultures, and in fact, he did. Uh, and that's where, in terms of becoming a sort of an inspiration for young designers in Melbourne because they'd open up ID magazine and there'd be a double page spread with Bowery's latest look. What are the type of things Bowery used to get up to in London? Okay, well, well, the first spread we saw at ID magazine before he went into his sort of nightclub serious sort of uh, taboo mode was it was a collection called um, Packies from Outer Space. And this was Bowery dressing up in particular looks. So rather than producing a collection per se, Bowery was interested in the, the whole body and the relationship between the body and the garment. So we referred to them as looks. So in this particular one, he had like bright blue skin, like the Hindu god Krishna. Um, he also had like Indian jewelry with like rings through his nose. And then this incredibly... Um, crazy asymmetric jacket in brocade, all these really rich colours, uh, bearing some of his skin, really quite quite a different approach in terms of just, just sexuality. Um, there were these interesting photographs of him and his partner Troy in their apartment, 
oh, in their flat in London, and they had this incredible like Star Trek wallpaper. So it was all really kitschy. So you sort of looked at it and you thought, oh, that's that's horrible. Then you go, oh no, that's actually that's actually fantastic. So we really sort of pushed this whole idea of this sort of particular types of aesthetics. And as a sort of a, you know a, a kid who suddenly came to London trying to sort of find a way to survive, working in Burger King by day, um, hanging out in nightclubs at night, you know the way he rose to fame was by these extraordinary looks. People would just go, "Whoa, who is that person?" So Bowery was discovered through just dressing up and looking good. Uh, so much so that he then became the face of a very famous a nightclub called Taboo. Right. And in fact, that's where he Which was he owned would, by Boy George. Which was owned by Boy George. And, you know, um, and that classic sort of um, quote, you know, dress as though your life depends upon it or don't bother. You know, and he would stand at the door and if you hadn't put in effort, you would never get in. I remember hearing a story uh, that he didn't want to uh, stay at RMIT to study fashion because I think one of the first tasks he was given to, was to design a children's collection. Mm. And I heard, oh, he, his reaction was, look, I just want to design clothes for myself. I'm not interested mm. in other people. Well, I still use it as an example of just, we were the catalyst. So for us to drive that, I think, is not a bad thing. And, and everybody, you know, learns in different environments and is inspired by different things. Um, Robin, who are some of the other designers? I know you're responsible for people like Sarah Thorne. Yeah, well, look, Sarah, Sarah and Bruce Slorick were also uh, two designers that, um, when I started work at the NGV, you know, I, I really admired um, their practice. Um, they had several different names for their label, from Funk Essentials is perhaps one of the ones that most people remember. Um, and then there was, of course, Sarah Thorne and so on. But they, they used this incredible, um, incredible love of pattern. Um, Beautiful textiles, whether they're they're uh, knitted, knitted designs or screen printed designs, that are just covered with just these incredible stories. So you'd have this one that was called Moderno Turisto, and you'd have this sort of this crazy woman running around the fabric with a, sort of this sort of fifties uh, hairstyle and sort of mini skirt, and then they'd be beside some sort of Aztec sort of sculpture or or some sort of crazy sort of writing or something so there's sort of this really um, incredible mixture of things and again Melbourne designers who were working closely with um, factories in Melbourne so they did knitwear because they found a factory that would do short runs you know they were able to control you know the look of their textiles by working with these these small production runs and working locally which is a very different example from what we're used to today. What's interesting about the Man Style exhibition, it's not just the big names like Lee Barry, there's also the unknowns and who are still working today, people like uh, Richard Glover. Mm, yeah, Richard Glover. Now he's an interesting one because of knit. Mm. Now knit is something that, um, I don't know, it goes through these really strange identity crises, knit. It's either sort of everyone's doing knit and going crazy about it or it mm. just goes into oblivion. Now, Michael Glover, when he started to create these really, I suppose, complete outfits of knit, which were quite different in Melbourne mm. because we, we, we didn't really have, I suppose, practices that were working purely in knit. We had designers that would have knit accessories 
or parts of collections that were knit. But Michael Glover's, his entire collections are knit. So this is where it was a very different thing. And also Michael uh, wasn't sort of creating sort of stereotypical garments. He, w- he, w- he was, you know, exploring, you know, dresses for men, uh, sort of uh, wrap-type mm. garments that I, I suppose you can't even give a name to, but he was really looking at the sort of the virtuosity of the knit and then the types of garments mm. that he could create with that. So he would use different weights of yarn. He would have an interesting sort of palette. Um, and I think what happened in Melbourne is people got very used to Michael Glover knits, and I think sometimes we just didn't appreciate how exciting um, and, and, and how different some of those practices were because that was something mm. that, that um, I suppose locally we became quite familiar with. One thing I was very conscious with as a curator was that in terms of you know an Australian collection, in terms of a Melbourne collection, sure we think globally, but the interesting thing is, is to look at it all so that when people come to Melbourne they don't see all the sorts of things you see at the Victorian Albert Museum or the Metropolitan in New York. You also have these great discoveries that you discover someone like a Michael Glover, you discover someone like a Sarah Thorne. And that to me is where in museums you can do some really exciting things because you can also then juxtapose them with like an 18th century frock coat in the same exhibition or whatever. And then you start to create some interesting ways of thinking and understandings about menswear, identity, mm. all those sorts of things. There's one um, exhibit by Romance Was Born that was Ooh. fairly over the top. It was extremely, as you'd expect. As you'd expect. <laughs> uh, quite delightful uh, for those who can't see, see the outfit. It's uh, a knitted pants and a knitted top, heavily embossed with seashells and uh, it's quite um, in your mm. face and mm. the shoes are all decorated with seashells and, and the and the um, there's a, even a little beard made of, um, <laughs> of doilies um, and people looking at that for people who are looking at this exhibition at man styles and go oh men don't wear that and I I went to one of the uh, opening talks and there was a couple of people in the audience and they just said oh that's just ridiculous men don't wear that and uh, the, the curator was explaining that you know this one of these designers is actually very successful. That you, can you elaborate on that? That it's not it's these pieces aren't for ready to wear. Well, no. But the other thing is is that people do wear them, but you're not going to see them everywhere. You know, there are like if if you go and it's like with Bowery's work. You know, there was there was this other this sort of underground fashion. Um, lifestyle, which was in nightclubs, something like those romances. Well, I actually do go to events where you often will see someone who has this incredible full um, romance was born. Most people will buy part of it, not the complete ensemble. Mm-hmm. So you might see an accessory or or the shoes with plain, you know, but not the whole thing. Um, and I think I think you know we have to be very careful when we think who would wear that. Because that's a big who we're talking about, and I think the interesting thing about fashion um, is is that you know for a lot of people it is that delving in with one element, or for others it is this complete transformation that occurs when you do that. Now, also for designers when they create collections, they do have these these um, collection pieces that are the epitome of all their ideas, and they can be the most extreme examples. Some of those will only dwell on a catwalk, but more and more so we find that those garments are getting out and about, that there are certain people who will actually want to participate in those. 
museums will commonly go for those. However, when I was curator, I tried to steer away from that. I, it worried me sometimes if you ended up with collections that only were those pieces that were for the catwalk, that somehow you also needed to make sure there was a good balance between garments that really were, were seen out and about. So something like the Sarah Thorne outfit we were talking before, which we didn't, I, I, I deviated, so I do apologise, which is, which is a kilt, this beautiful printed kilt with a matching jacket. Um, that came from um, the archive of Sarah Thorne, and she had all these garments that she'd accumulated over a period of time, and these were the garments that she had either worn herself or Bruce had worn, so that to me was also coming out of the designer's collection, was also an interesting way to, to get a sense of where those garments had appeared, because also you've got all the chain of events and, and situations that they've been in, so that's also interesting in terms of people's exposure to a fashion, um, that, that they're not just the catwalk sample. So I was very conscious of that, because it wasn't about necessarily just collecting a design process, it was about those, those, those moments in fashion. The other person who stands out in the exhibition, I mean, there's several amazing mm. pieces, uh, Rick Owens from his mm, recent mm, winter, mm, I think mm. it was spring-summer collection, mm, 2011. We've got to a point where some of the aesthetic considerations in designers such as Rick Owens sort of transcend gender, and I think that's where the period now is quite interesting because if you look at menswear collections in Milan, which is where you see the principal collections, you know, there's everything. Now, Rick Owens is a sort of a more pared down, but still to me, there's, there's, there's still that sort of, um, I suppose that's, that, I don't want to use the word feminine, I'm trying to think of another word, but I can't. Well, I quite can't. androgynous. Well, it is quite androgynous, but it still has that sort of, there's a sort of um, an aesthetic beauty to it that... Um, it's quite romantic. It is romantic, and the use of the fabrics, mm -hmm. so it's not that really sort of stiff, hard-edged formalised, mm -hmm. which is, is probably a really old-fashioned notion of, of, of menswear. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, even today people are quite cliched about sort of, you know, the suit and the... But, you know, there are so many... You know, there's, there's, there's the, the, um, the drape suit, which mm -hmm. is no... which is untailored suit. You know, you've got your soft tailoring mm -hmm. and your hard tailoring. So I think there's a lot of the soft tailoring, which is where you get okay. these quite subtleties... Um, in the fabrics and I think that's where you've got your Rick Owens school uh, where it is rather than this hard tailoring which is where you've got this sort of structure. And the final word, word Robin, what do you think Lee Barry would say when he saw his, his outrageous outfit in, in the showcase at the National Gallery of Victoria, what do you think he'd say? I just think he'd laugh hysterically. I really do. I think he'd think it would be the most funniest thing ever because, you know, he poked fun at institutions. I mean, the idea of Bowery being, you know, institutionalised is very funny. Thanks so much, Robin.